Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey again, welcome back, or maybe I'm welcoming you for the first time to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Robin Goble, and you've just joined me on a journey of taking the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translating that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma, as well as parents who are just interested in the science of behavior or parents who are parenting intense kids with big behaviors. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids with big behaviors, many, if not most, of who've experienced significant trauma, but some who have just other differences that are leading to big behaviors. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even once taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to get you free, accessible support as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing, although I have passed my one year anniversary. So that's super exciting for a podcast that I started on a whim. If you love this episode, be sure to add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends and colleagues. After you do that, head over to my website and get started on my masterclass about what behavior really is. It's the perfect place to start your journey on unlearning everything we've been taught about behavior. Start that masterclass at robingobel.com slash masterclass. In today's episode, you're going to meet Dr. Lori DeSottles. 
professor at Butler University, author of Connections Over Compliance, and a pioneer in the field of bringing the social and affective neurosciences into the hands of educators and classrooms. Not only is Dr. DeSotos an associate professor at Butler, but two days a week, she teaches in a seventh grade classroom. She's also faculty at the Polyvagal Institute. Usually, right about now is when I tell you that today's episode is sponsored by The Club, but I'm going to go a little different direction today and tell you that this episode with Dr. DeSotos is sponsored by my new 12-month immersive and holistic program for child and family professionals, Being With. So Being With has emerged from everything I needed, but had to piecemeal together with many trainings over many years. Being with brings together a solid connection to the neuroscience, creates a toolbox full of tools to help you both be with struggling families and to help you help the families be with their kids, as well as a space and the invitation for you to grow in your self-attunement, because that's ultimately the most important piece of this journey for both you and your families. I want great therapists and great parent helpers to develop the inner resilience to stay in this field and serve struggling families for a really, really long time. So being with is my offering to actually both the professionals, but ultimately to the families that they serve. The inaugural 2022 cohort begins in January and registration is open through December 17th, 2021. All right, y'all, let's dive into this interview with Lori. Well, gosh, Lori, thanks so much for finding the time today to give us the opportunity to connect, get to know each other. I'm excited about that and really introduce my listeners to your work and the really important things that you're doing out in the world. So welcome. Thank you, Robin. I'm excited for us to have a conversation and just to share what's happening yeah. in crazy time right now. Oh my gosh. No kidding. Yes, yes, yes. So let's just get started with telling my listeners, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you're doing in the world right now. So um, I am a full-time faculty at Butler University in Indianapolis. I'm an assistant professor in our college of ed. And um, and my work is really in neuroscience, social and effective neurosciences, and also um, working with the polyvagal theory that Dr. Stephen Porges um, created, my goodness, it's been over 30 years ago, I think. Yes. It's been a while. But the application of all of these sciences is really informing um, educators, social workers, counselors, parents. I would have been a very different mom to mm-hmm. my three children, Andrew, Sarah, and Reagan, when they were little. Yes. And I am a different mom today. Um, it as you know, they're in their 20s. And our oldest uh, is 30, which I can't even believe. <laughs> Oh, is so, that possible? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's really exciting to see how the research, the literature in these social and effective neurosciences are yes. really supporting social, emotional, cognitive, and physiological well-being, and we've never needed this more. Oh my gosh, isn't that the truth right now with everything that's going on? I've Absolutely. I've said more than once that it is my my studies of the neuroscience and then my like commitment to like living it, embodying it that has got me through this pandemic, like how I feel like I'm still able to like somewhat be okay in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing too, I, when you asked about what I'm doing in the world, I think the thing that I want to share most is that I'm back in the classroom. And in fact, after this recording today, I'm heading to my seventh grade classroom to spend the afternoon. Um, And the reason I do that is because I want to walk the walk of educators right now. This is, and I've been doing this for seven years. The university has given me a course release. And so I've been able to take these practices that um, we are creating and integrating them into procedures and routines and transitions for parents and for staff. This is, again, this is, you know, about how routines and rituals at home and at school, but it really is addressing the nervous system development and how adversity impacts our children and youth 
And so I'm getting an up close and personal look um, at the middle school this year. I'm at two days a week. I'm with seventh grade. I've last semester or last year, I was at the beginning of the pandemic. I was with sixth grade and third and fourth grade. So um, this is invaluable to me yeah. because I don't know what I would have to say to you if I were not in the classroom. And so this is this is a significant aspect of my life right now. Yeah, that's cool. I did not know that about you. Like that, I mean, first of all, I'm like, whoa, how are you, like, where are you finding the time to do all these things? But I know we just all are figuring it out, aren't we? Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's really, that's really cool. You know, I'm super curious to hear because I'm sure it's similar in the education field as in the mental health field that, um, well, one, just sort of what was your tipping point? Like, where did you move into kind of doing your work through this lens? But then also, um, how it's come, come to, you know, come to be, to be teaching other educators, this different way of being with students and seeing their behaviors and how the neuroscience can really impact, you know, again, the very practical things that are happening in the classroom. Yeah. So I'm a former special education teacher and okay. former school counselor. Okay. And I taught children with the classification of emotionally disturbed, behavior disordered, yes. emotionally impaired. I mean, in the educational world, we have yeah. these labels and classifications and rulings, and we box in and call children disordered, dysfunctional, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, disturbed. And so I really looked at the brilliance of these kids. And I, even when I did not know the neuroscience, even as a young teacher, Mm -hmm. I felt there was something beneath the behavior that I wasn't getting. And so that really spurred this work into pre-service education, Mm -hmm. taking my own work, my doctoral work, and looking at the adolescent brain, looking at the developing brain. And, um, and really understanding that behaviors are only signals. They are just indicators of what is happening in the nervous system. Yes. So I really moved the focus, not just talking about the brain, but talking about the autonomic nervous system, because yes. there's this beautiful and very complex conversation that is happening in all moments between our brains and our bodies. It's a bi-directional highway. Yes. Yeah. So say more about that. Like say more about how, so how is, you know, our autonomic nervous system and what's happening in our nervous system? What do you mean by that as far as it's, it's underneath behavior? I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, The club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club, to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. So this is fascinating. And again, this is why I would have been a different mom. And I am a different mom today and teacher. But what we are learning and what the sciences are sharing with us now that we might not have known 10 years ago, five years ago, 20, 30 years ago, is that the brain and body, um, which make up our autonomic nervous system, are not only in constant communication with each other, but they're communicating to us. And in the Western part of the world, I feel Mm. we've become very disembodied, meaning that we are always talking, Mm -hmm. lecturing, grounding, threatening, nagging. I did a million times as a mom and as a teacher. And we were kind of our heads and our, our 
our bodies went in separate directions. And what we now are learning is that when we feel afraid, when we feel anxious, when we feel irritated, um, just very, what we say in our house, rough, when Mm -hmm. we feel rough, Mm -hmm. that our body's heart rate goes up, our respiration goes up, our blood pressure increases, um, our, we have physiological changes when we move into traditionally what we've called fight flight, mm-hmm. which is a survival, you know, brain and body state, um, our pupils dilate the body and the brain together mobilize for energy. Yes. And whether we run from the threat or we fight off the threat, mm-hmm. um, that is a behavior that we misunderstand. Yes. And so, and, and the brain and body in a survival state don't hear words, right. they don't hear logic, they don't hear reasoning, or they don't care about consequences or rewards or stickers. Yes. And so every not, and I'm being schematic in this podcast because our bodies don't work and brains don't work in regions or sections. It's complex. We know very little. Dr. Bruce Perry says we're on I don't know, inch two of a five mile journey or three mile journey. So what we do now understand is that sensations are the language of our bodies. And they're also the language of the brainstem. So when we come into the world as infants, newborns, unless we had a significantly premature birth, we come in with a brainstem because that's the seed of survival. And so in survival, you know, we have, you know, we, we have functions that happen without conscious awareness. So we digest food, we have sleep rhythms developing, we have respiration and, and, but also what we're learning is that the brainstem is also grand central station for all of the stimuli from the environment and also our internal stimuli. And it begins or initiates our stress response. So this is where I am learning that we need to meet our children and our Mm -hmm. adolescents because when they're feeling angry or rough or sad or worried or anxious, they don't have the logic to work through that, you know, more often than not. And so we know that to meet them where they are, we've got to meet them with sensation. So what do I mean by that? Sensation are what I would describe as physicalized feelings. So if I'm feeling hot or prickly or edgy or numb, fuzzy, teary, our kids get that. And so I need them with a sensory practice that feels good to their nervous system. And we do this in schools, whether it's taking deep breaths, whether it's moving, whether it's heat, like holding a hand warmer sometimes can feel good to our bodies when we're upset. Um, A hand massage feels nice sometimes. Um, Art is a wonderful way to dampen down our stress response systems and kind of opening us up to this cortex and right here behind our eyebrows Um, All of us, this is the newest part of the brain. This is the cortex, the prefrontal cortex. And this is where we do life. It's where we parent. It's where we teach from. It's where we learn. It's where we live because this is the seat of our executive function. So it's where we hold working memory and sustained attention, problem solving, decision-making, emotional regulation. But if you're constantly like we have been during this pandemic, Mm -hmm. if you're spinning and living in survival states, you can't access this. And that's why we're meeting our students um, with practices that align with where they are. And that's true for adults too. Yes. I mean, that's some of my favorite part about this work is that it's, you know, we can, we can look at it through the lens of kids and then take a breath and pause and be like, and everyone. And everyone yeah. else too. For some yeah. reason, for many people, it just feels a little easier to have a little distance from the information applied to someone else before you think about applying it, applying it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is 
what is it like to be working with educators, you know, like not just right now, but even, you know, prior to the pandemic, like bringing this information to them and helping them, you know, see behavior through a new lens, but then especially now during the pandemic. Well, you know, this is what fall of 2021. And in reality, we are in the third year of this pandemic in our schools and in our homes and communities. And so across the nation right now, we are seeing an, a, a significant uptick in behavioral challenges in our classrooms. Yes. And we are also seeing, um, and I want to differentiate when I talk about behavioral challenges, because it's not always externalizing. Mm-hmm. It sometimes is dissociating or yes. shutting down or immobilizing. Yes. And so this time, and, and again, the behavior is only the signal. And so what we, what I'm helping educators to understand is that when any of us are functioning in survival or in that threat and protect state, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that when we use traditional discipline, it backfires. Yeah. It can unintentionally re-traumatize a child. It can unintentionally reactivate the stress response systems. Yes. So, and, and we are all, all of us carrying in significant amounts of toxic layers and levels of stress. And that changes the way we perceive our world. It changes the way that we feel and sense our worlds around us and therefore our behavior, it can shut down learning. And so it, and and this is a big shift. This is what my new book is about is behavior management is about adults. It is not about children and youth. And I wish that I had known this as a mom. It is, it is my nervous system Mm -hmm. that matters the most. Yes, because I can unintentionally escalate my child or or my student, or I can sit beside them and share a safe, emotionally available space with them. And that's what that's the second pillar of this framework, um, which we are calling Mm co-regulation, because co-regulation is a biological imperative. We're social creatures. We can't survive without each other. And our children and youth have over the last 22 months experienced a lot of isolation and a disconnect. And for many of our students, they come to school for connection and safety. They're not coming to school to learn. Yes. So they've lost that. Yes. Yeah, so much. So that leads me to thinking about the, about your book and about the, especially the subtitle of, of, I know you have several books and, and one coming out, but your most recent book um, and the subtitle about rewiring our perceptions. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit more because we think so much about how the work we're doing is rewiring our kids' brains and to shift the dialogue on that just a little bit to get some clarity on like, well, what we're really doing here, what we really need to do is rewire our own brains so that the way that we're seeing and perceiving the behaviors and then our approach to kind of helping kids changes a little. So say some more about that, rewiring our perceptions. So you may have heard that the club is open today for just a few days for new members. And I wanted to share with you what this club member said about her time in the club. This member says, I was way more successful handling a stressful situation than I would have been a year ago. And it is truly a result of the material I've learned through Robin and the club. Oh my gosh, y'all. I love, love, love hearing that. There's no way that we can promise that the stress from your kids is going to change because we're just not in control of anybody else but ourselves. But what we can do 
is work to change how we respond to those stressors. And that's what we do over in the club. We are open for new members from now until the 28th of April, and we would love to have you. Well, neuroplasticity is a hot topic right now, Uh and it also is controversial because it's become a word that we can oversimplify. Um, And so in the context of the book, when I when I talk about rewiring our perceptions of discipline, it's really thinking about how a calm, regulated adult nervous system is capable of calming a child's nervous system or an adolescent's nervous system. And really, I'm not telling your listeners anything that we all don't know. It's just that I'm providing now the research and the literature um, underneath that. Because when I am calm and when I feel safe and connected, then I can share that. And, And I am able to promote some positive contagion yeah. Because we know human beings are contagious. Yes. And and we all know that we can walk into a room where people yep. have been and we can just feel and feel. sense that energy. You know, something feels off here or something feels wonderful here. Yep. And and our children and adolescents, again, that nervous system is developing. It's vulnerable. It is, um, you know, taking in experiences at a rapid, rapid, efficient mm-hmm. rate and way. And, um, and when we think about the plasticity of younger children and adolescents, um, they are watching us, they are listening to us. And it's interesting because our nonverbal communication is something I am very aware of right now in my own brain and body state. I'm really aware that's some rewiring I'm working on is what, what is my tone? Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. am I posturing? Yes. You know, what are my gestures and what is my face saying? My yes. eyes yes. and my girls, my own daughters will say to me, mom, you've got that voice. Yeah. Oh, or, yeah. you know, mom, you know, you know, that's you're upset. What's going yes. on? Yes. And I'll say, no, And then I go high, you know, and so it's, you know, there isn't, there, there are just no days, hardly any hours where I'm not thinking about my own nervous system right now. And especially in this time. So rewiring our perceptions, the adult perception is really understanding the science, number one, and understanding that patterned, repetitive and Mm -hmm. thoughtful focused mm-hmm. experiences because it just doesn't happen with the repetition change right. doesn't happen with just repetition it's really being intentional yep. and it's really being focused on a behavior or a skill or even your thoughts and feelings i know for me during the pandemic i have created a habit of worrying and i never used to be a worrier mm-hmm. and And that is something that I'm really aware of. And when I begin to worry, I watch that pattern of thought or those feelings. And I begin to be curious about that and to wonder about that. And then to think, what else can I be thinking about at this point? Because I'm not, I don't want to get down on myself, but I want to acknowledge where I am in my nervous system. And actually that's the goal. The goal is for our children and for us to acknowledge that we move through different states all day long. And there's nothing wrong with feeling mobilized to mobilizing anger or mobilizing worry. That's that's it's okay not to be okay right now or at any time. But it's when we get stuck in those states that can become challenging um, to move for us to move through personally, but to also help our students and our own children to move through those. Yeah. You know, I don't hear people talk about this, this one little nuance that you just did, which, which I talk about with parents, which is the number one step is, is 
um, when you're starting to be aroused yourself or you're in a difficult situation for your kid, I, I talk with parents about the first step is just to acknowledge your own experience because it feels like we've done so much learning about whatever language we want to use, trauma-informed or, you know, whatever language we want to use that I've found this like, un, again, this like unintentional byproduct of, um, I'm not supposed to be reacting to my child this way, or I'm not supposed to be reacting to the world this way, which then comes with these real negative thoughts and ways of being with ourselves. And so uh, I love how you just use that word, even just acknowledge, uh, like, no, just acknowledge what's happening. Like it's not good or bad or right or wrong. Your system is mobilizing and you're starting to feel aroused and when you think about the, the behavior of the child in front of you, it makes perfect sense that that's what's happening with you. And so the first thing we want to do is just acknowledge it, like notice it, not have any judgment about it. And if we can send ourselves even just a little self-compassion for the, because it's painful to feel that way. It's painful to feel lots of worry or to notice these things that are happening sometimes in our autonomic nervous systems that we wish, you know, it's so hard to, to get out of that cycle of, we wish it wasn't happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And so just that first step, taking that step of like, but it is happening. So mm -hmm. let's just acknowledge and be with what's actually unfolding right in the here and now. So I love that you said that. I don't hear people talk about that. That's what I feel like is a really crucial part of it. That just acknowledging like, this is what's happening right now. Yeah. And, and also, you know, along those same lines, it's, it's very important for us, you know, in this time, especially, but in all times to understand that our body is always working for us and not yes. against us. Yes. And, and so when we have those sensations that feel uncomfortable or painful or wobbly, or, you know, the, the, you know, throbbing, these are some of the words my seventh graders have given uh -huh. me yep. um, when we have those sensations that you know, it's, it really is leading us, yes. you know, into movement. Yep. And what's interesting, Dr. Um, Andrew Huberman has, mm -hmm. um, he's got um, some podcasts and from his lab and his um, literature, his research, he, I was just reading the other day that when we feel our bodies moving into that survival state, whether we are feeling anxious or angry or just, you know, very uncomfortable, he was stating, and especially with anxiety too, he was sharing that our bodies, the reason we have that discomfort is there is an accumulation of carbon dioxide that needs to be released. And that's why breath work can be mm -hmm. such an important, but even more than breath work is movement. Yeah. Because when we move forward, our eyes actually move in a lateral way, mm -hmm. um, which is very similar to some of the practices like EMDR, yes. eye movement invitation reprocessing. So it, I was sharing this with my daughter, Sarah, the other day, and she said, mom, I was starting to feel so anxious. I felt like a panic attack coming on because she struggled with those. Yeah. And she said, I for the very first time, I didn't shut down, even though I felt awful. I put my running shoes on mm. and she said, and I went outside and I took a walk and, and she goes, mom, it felt better to my, yeah. it started to lessen. Yes. And, and then I was just looking at this research. So that's why movement and rhythm. And when I talk about rhythm, it's the, it's pacing is rhythmic. Mm -hmm. Walking mm -hmm. is rhythmic. Yep. Shooting baskets is rhythmic. Um, driving in your car is, is rhythmic. So, you know, it's, it's really the, the, the things that we do that rocking, like I'm rocking in my yeah, chair right yeah, now, my office chair, this is rhythmic. <laughs> uh -huh. And, and so those type of, of, um, strategies or practices, um, you know, feel good to us and we know that they do, but there are neurobiological reasons why they do. Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard that um, podcast by Dr. Huberman. I need to go check it out. Movement. I know you and I don't know each other at all. We're just meeting for the first time today. But movement, that's the, like kind of my thing. Like when I'm training therapists, that's how I, what I train them in is how to bring movement 
Um, and to really bring this part into mental health care, that's been so often, you know, people actually use words like stay in your lane. The body is not for mental health therapists. They, they use all this kind of, it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, like bringing in the body and bringing in movement and, um, mm-hmm. is, is really quite non-negotiable like that. It's such an important part well, of mental health. Well, and it's a part of who we are in an yes. evolutionary, yeah. you know, uh, place. I mean, yeah. we, we aren't wired to sit right. the way right. we do. Right. I mean, it just goes against our neurobiology. Yes. And, um, and Dr. Bruce Perry has a lot of great research on this and he just, um, I was just listening to a podcast and, you know, speaking with coaches and, yep. you know, and, and, you know, that athletic teams and, but it really is just a five minute walk, yeah. literally a five minute walk can yep. change the way we breathe, it can lower heart rate, it can lower our blood pressure. So it doesn't have, you don't have to go to orange theory five days a week for an hour at a time. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. Right. Even three deep breaths activates the parasympathetic pathway of the nervous system. Yes, yes, yes. So back in, I guess it was September, I had a, I did a podcast series on again, like strengthening the foundation of the brain. And we talked a lot about exactly what you're saying moments. We were talking about moments here, like finding little, you know, again, a five minute walk, three breaths, you know, that doesn't have to be because I'm sure the educators you work with, same as the parents that I work with, we start to talk about this kind of stuff. And they're like, oh no, like, we don't have time for this. Like we can't add oh, anything yeah. else to our plate. We're not, no, no, nothing new, nothing new, nothing new, which I totally get. And so just reframing that idea that we're not talking about adding an hour of exercise to your, no, an hour no. of anything, but in little micro moments, you know, mm-hmm. and then how you said earlier too, about just being intentional because just like, you know, both of us are like moving in our chair, teachers are pacing and, you know, and that, although I'm assuming teachers are back to being able to pace. I know last year, my husband, my kids, teachers were like sequestered behind this plexiglass and could hardly even move around. So hopefully, you know, bodies are moving a little bit more again, um, in the classroom. And so turning our attention towards things that actually are already happening, Mm -hmm. even that we don't have to even do anything new. Right. But just kind of turning our attention towards it can sometimes be helpful. Oh, absolutely. And, and we, um, you know, schools, I mean, people get a little funny when you talk about meditation in the school. So about seven years ago, we created a term that's just, it's known now around the world. It's called focused attention practices. Mm -hmm. And really those are, they can be calming focused attention practices, or they can be energizing. Yes. And they really, um, you know, and I share with people, meditation only becomes religious or spiritual. If we if we make it that way, mm-hmm. but, but meditation is really an exercise in executive function. Yes. And so when we focus on a stimulus like taste or visualization or sound or movement, we are using the, um, we are activating, I should say, um, that strong capability of memory and, um, and that, and our ability to stay focused and to be flexible and fluid as we move, you know, throughout our day. So it's, it really, and again, it is um, an anti-inflammatory practice Mm -hmm. for limbic and subcortical regions of the brain, because we are intentionally quieting that, that um, midbrain area so we can get to the cortex. Yes. I mean, helping people feel comfortable bringing attention to like the here and now and bringing Mm -hmm. attention to what's happening in their bodies. It feels like if that is just like the one thing we could really help people. I mean, there's so many things, but if that one thing could be so impactful, Mm -hmm. right? Like developing safe enough spaces and body experiencing body experiences to allow for that focused attention. Uh, I mean, the benefits of it are just so profound. So I love too, that you found a way to introduce the concept in a, Mm -hmm. in a very neutral, in a very neutral way. It feels to me like that, that has the power to like change the world for in generations. (laughs) If we can teach people how to be with their bodies and be in the here and now. Mm -hmm. 
And it's, and you know, it's such, it's such a, a part of who we are breathing yes. yeah. and moving are who we are as, you know, human beings as living organisms. And so to be intentional about the types of breaths that we need and that really help our biology to either energize or to calm is something, you know, my, my children have said to me, or my young adult children have said Mm -hmm. to me, mom, what is one thing you would love to see change in the schools in the next 10 years? And I said, I just, I hope focused attention practices will become commonplace and they'll become a part of our routines and like just collecting homework, eating breakfast at school, doing DMR, um, you know, a part of our, our family routines, you know, before dinner, before bed, when we get up in the morning, um, it just, it's no different than brushing your teeth or showering. I mean, these are things that we know, um, are so helpful to, um, you know, to the brain and the body and specifically, you know, to the nervous system. Yes. Yes. And if we can really be beginning those practices ourselves, right. As the adults, right. That that matters, right? Like sometimes it feels like it's it's not enough, or we're not doing enough to you know help our kids or change our kids' behaviors. We get real focused on all of that, and to just pause and you know remember, Mm -hmm. just like you said, how how our nervous systems are so contagious. Yeah, and if we can develop these practices to be you know with ourselves in this way, how I mean, it matters. It just really, really matters. It does, and and you know we we also know that. Um, you know, when we are in a room filled with students or if, you know, if we are as a family sitting together, that is a beautiful space where we can co-regulate each other just by breathing together or just by, um, moving together or by, you know, creating, working on a project together, you know, just sharing that space is, you know, our nervous systems see that as soothing and as calming. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, educators have got to be the, some of the most stressed out people, uh, maybe around the world, certainly in the United States. So when you're talking with educators about this piece, like it's so important for us and our nervous system, we're, you know, setting the tone and, um, they, I assume some of them look at you like, come on, like everything's like on fire right now. Like how am I supposed to find, you know, find regulation or be quote unquote calm, which is a very valid question. How, how are you answering that? How are you helping teachers who are just surrounded by chaos find moments of okayness? That's such a great question, Robin. And So I've got a couple of responses to that. The very first thing that I want to share is that this framework, Applied Educational Neuroscience, is your plate. We're not asking any teacher to put anything more on their plate. Your nervous system is your plate. Yes. And so when you look at how things are going in your classrooms right now, and I'm talking about elementary, middle, and high school, our discipline data is really showing us how well we are all doing in this time. And, and, and not just during a pandemic, but our discipline data really shares with us the dysregulation of collective nervous systems in our classroom. If, if we feel like we can't handle one more thing, and yet every day we are met with disruptive, disrespectful, oppositional, defiant, or shut down behaviors, then we've got to take a step back because you'll spend 10 to 20 minutes to 30 minutes to an hour redirecting, consequencing. And so we in education have always looked at discipline as a reactionary condition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what my new book is about is looking at discipline through a brain aligned preventative tier one lens. It's, it's good for all of us. It happens naturally through our procedures and routines. And so discipline is taking three deep breaths before we have um, a situation. Discipline is knowing what kids come in a little more rough and what they need. So we created, last year we created amygdala bags mm-hmm. um, and we're using the language of science. I'm tired and exhausted 
from pathologizing behavior and talking about behavior. Our children feel relieved and empowered when they understand the science beneath their behavior. So we're carrying, yeah, we're carrying that language into the classroom. So that's a long answer to your question. And there is resistance, but I think when we continually share, consistently share the science of, you know, why we feel the way we do, why we're behaving the way we do, then, and, and, and understanding that these are procedures. You teach 10 procedures as an educator all, all day long, every day. I mean, your procedures are a part, you know, and, and if you're not teaching it, then you're practicing it. You're going through it. But these are, again, a folks' detention practice is what we do before DMR. Um, a morning check-in with our autonomic nervous system is a part of our procedure. That's discipline on the front yes. end. Yeah. And, and, and therefore when you build engagement and you are reflective and our children and our adolescents have an opportunity to share how they're feeling, how they're experiencing, then we oftentimes do not have that reaction or that reactive, um, you know, challenge where we, and again, it's not we will still have yelling and throwing and eloping and, you know, I mean, those things just don't go away, but, but with time and with consistency, um, you know, it, it makes a difference. Absolutely. So yes, that's so exciting. I mean, I think I hear you saying so much of it will parallels like my work with parents, which is, you know, really helping them to see like, like, I know it feels like we're adding something new to more to your plate. I'm not adding anything more to your plate. And I don't want to add anything more to your plate. And actually our bodies are longing to see behavior for what it really is. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you have similar experiences. I do that when we finally can find the right language to help people understand what's happening in the autonomic nervous system. It doesn't cause more stress. It's not something extra to do. It actually can feel so relieving. Like we've been waiting all along for somebody to just finally see us too, like us as the adults, you know, like what's really happening for us. And there can be actually relief as opposed to just feeling like one more thing to have to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for the developing brain and body, um, you know, just to know this when you're younger, rather than waiting till you're 30, 40, 50 years old, um, is that becomes, you know, when we talk about neuroplasticity or rewiring, we learn so fluidly and efficiently in those younger years that this is where we have the opportunity to do this. Yeah, absolutely. My son is 15 and I could just started discovering a lot of this when he was a baby. Um, and I'm so, so, so grateful for that. So grateful that he's, you know, grown up with a language for his body and can mm-hmm. see his own behaviors through this lens, mm-hmm. right. Which isn't giving him an excuse to have you know, increased bad behavior, it's giving him like compassion and connection to himself and then ultimately to everybody else. Right. Then he can extend that grace and compassion to everyone else. And again, I just think that that's, that's world changing. It's world changing. So yeah. Well, good grief. It's just been lovely to have the opportunity to connect with you this morning. I know you are so busy, so busy. And so for you to have taken the time for us to, to get to know one another and for again, like my listeners to hear um, about what you're doing and the impact that you're making is I'm just so grateful. So grateful uh-huh. for that. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience. And it's just a time where we need each other. Yes. And we need to, we need to stay connected. Absolutely. Well, I hope we do stay connected. Thank you so much for uh, joining me here, here today. Thank you, Robin. Oh, goodness. Like so many nuggets of brilliance in this interview, right? If you didn't take notes, you can read a summary and remember some of those best quotes over at robingobel.com slash connections over compliance. Over there, as well as in the show notes, you'll find links to Dr. DeSoto's website, as well as a link to her book. 
All right, y'all, you know by now I overflow with gratitude for you, that you're just here listening, that you're doing your part, however big or small, and changing the world for our kids, their kids, and really everyone on the planet. I'll see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.